And I trust you that the words of a song like that remind us that that is really the right reason for asking God to rend the heavens that we might see His glory and experience that uh, renewal through personal contact with Him because the world has yet to see a God like Him. Revival and mission are inseparably linked together and one always has to precede the other. So I trust that you will use opportunities like this when we are gathered here on Sunday mornings, when we are presented with, with songs and prayers and opportunities for reflection, to, to keep on reminding you, go hard after God. Our greatest need is to see His glory. And the greatest need for us to see His glory is because the world has never seen a God like the God we claim to worship. Father, thank you so much for the privilege of being able to, to worship you. Thank you for people who write these and the other songs that we've sung. Uh, thank you for giving us handles with which to express longings that perhaps we didn't even know we had when we first showed up here. Thank you that all of us are on this pilgrimage, that we are not only your disciples, but we are your pilgrims on this highway to Zion, and you are with us, Jesus. Thank you that you're journeying with us. We put our hands in yours this morning, Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. Lead us a few steps further along this morning, in Jesus' name. Amen. Unless you happen to be visiting with us just today, or haven't been in church for several months, you know that today we are starting a ten-week emphasis in our church on faith, believing God. And it's always good at a time when we have a special emphasis to ask ourselves, why and why at this particular time? And that's what I want to answer this morning. And I want to talk, begin by talking about anniversaries. October is, uh, is a month where I have two personal anniversaries, my birthday as well as our wedding anniversary. Anniversaries are times to look back and reflect. If they happen to be ordinary anniversaries, like a ninth birthday or 27th wedding anniversary or whatever, you usually look back over one year. If they happen to be special anniversaries like 25th and 50th, then you kind of look back over longer periods of time. But the purpose in both cases is the same. You look back not to live in the past because that is counterproductive. You look back in order to gain wisdom, direction and motivation to move ahead. So that's what we're going to be doing today because you see, October doesn't only happen to be a month of personal anniversaries. October is chock-a-block full of anniversaries for next step. For example, October 11th just passed, we celebrated our 45th anniversary. October 16th, which is tomorrow, happens to be the first anniversary of our Upper Room Community Church. And those of you who are relatively new to our church, uh, that was a church plant just over a year ago. They, pl- they celebrated their anniversary last week because of the uh, uh, appropriateness of Thanksgiving, but tomorrow is actually their first anniversary. And then this day, October 15th last year, this very day, was prob- was, we had one of the most, if not the most important, leadership retreat that we've had in this church, where staff, elders, and uh, leaders of the other two committees in our church met for six or seven hours for a very significant occasion. I'll be going back to that in a minute. And then it also happens to be just past the one-year anniversary of our Imagine campaign. And so today, as we begin this journey on faith, I want to do some looking back in order to get wisdom, direction, and motivation for looking ahead. And I want to begin, first of all, with Thanksgiving still fresh upon us, to first of all just simply thank God uh, for what has happened so far in our Imagine campaign. Now, just out of curiosity, other than those who just happen to be visiting today, how many of you have started coming to this church regularly after last October? Can I just have a show of hands, just just out of curiosity? Okay, there's about four or five of you here. Now, for for the benefit of you in particular, you've seen these uh, uh, banners on either side that talk about unleashing our potential and leaving a legacy. Uh, you've seen periodic updates in our bulletins about spades in the ground. 
you are generally aware that there's a lot of construction, or at least destruction at this point, uh, that is going on all around us. But you haven't really had a chance, those of you who are newcomers since last October, to see all the pieces put together. And for the rest of us who were here a year ago, uh, those who study such things tell us that we lose vision in one month. In 28 days, a group of people forget why they're doing what they're doing. And so you, one year, you'll probably have forgotten a lot more than that. So for both groups, I want to just kind of quickly remind you once again of what this was all about that we started. And there were four basic components to our imagined vision. The first involved upgrading our facilities right here with a major emphasis on multiplying facilities for youth and children's ministries, not only in our church, but increasing in our community. Secondly, it's to help our upper room community church with ministry and office space. Uh, about just over a year ago, we sent 70 of our, some of our best and brightest, along with Pastor Andre Turcott, to start a worshipping community in Vaughan. They had been meeting at the AMC and the 400 uh, intersection of the theater there. And right next to that, adjacent, they have leased a 2,500-square-foot uh, warehouse area, which they are now constructing and building out to provide ministry and office space, much like we are. A uh, second dimension of the Imagine campaign was to help them with that. Thirdly, our denomination. We are part of the Christian Missionary Alliance in Canada. And not too long ago, our basic training center uh, was moved from Regina, the Canadian Bible College and Seminary, to Calgary. And they've also been granted permission now to be a liberal arts university that can grant university degrees. And while 40 acres of prime property has been amazingly provided for us, we are partnering with the other 400 churches in our denomination to help them build the campuses. And our contribution to that which is part of uh, this whole matter of leaving a legacy, training future leaders, not only pastors, but uh, people for the marketplace who will also get, get their education in a Christian perspective. Two of our young people right now are studying there. So that's another part of our Imagine campaign. Fourthly, we want to respond to divine initiatives. The history of our church shows that God has continually given us opportunities that we could never have dreamed up in any strategic plan. And we believe that both locally and globally, God is going to continue to give us open doors to walk through. And we want to be able to respond to those things. And so these, this is kind of the four, <clears throat> the uh, pronged aspect of the imagined vision. And the financial side of it was estimated to be approximately $4.8 million. And uh, we want to thank you. We want to thank you for your faithfulness. Just past the first year, we've just crossed $1.2 million. Thank you so much for your faithful giving. And we've already begun to use the money in all four areas. It's costing money to destroy before we can build up. We're certainly paying for that. Uh, we are, as I mentioned, helping Upper Room Community Church. Uh, we have already sent $100,000 to uh, Alliance University College in Calgary. And as far as divine initiatives, two things have already happened. Uh, the, the, a group in our church that is made up of the elders and the executive and the building committee that manages the dispersal of these funds decided to invest $20,000 from the Imagine campaign into our Neighborhood Connections Ministry which, as you know, is our ministry to the poor and the disenfranchised in our community. You know what God has already done? He's already multiplied that sevenfold through a miracle that you will hear about next week. Most of next week's service will show how God has already honored that little investment in giving us an opening for ministry over the next three years there that was beyond anything we could have ever imagined. And then as far as global initiatives, Pastor Sok and Savvy M, who used to pastor our Cambodian church, were called by God to go back to Cambodia. In the post-killing fields era, God is raising up many young pastors, but there's a desperate need for pastoral training. And Pastor Sok and Savvy had gone back there, and part of our imagined funds are being used to help them. And so, already in all four dimensions, what you've been giving has been helping us. And so we're thankful to God for that. So much for the money side. That's all you're going to hear about money. What I want to talk about, though, 
Those of you who are here know that, and those of you who are new need to know that. That from the very beginning, God impressed upon the leadership of this church that this Imagine campaign had to do a lot more than money. It was really an invitation for an entire congregation to enter into a spiritual process through which our faith in God will be broadened and deepened. And while we were aware of that from the very beginning, October 15th last year was a time when God really underlined that call, lest any of us, including yours truly, was ever in doubt that that was the real agenda. So I want to take you back to October 15th last year, exactly a year ago, looking back again in order to look forward. As I mentioned to you a few moments ago, our our vision was for $4.8 million, and we ran the Imagine campaign last year. And uh, when the pledges came in on October the 2nd, it was approximately $3 million. Considerable amount of money, but a lot less than what we felt we needed. And so the leadership of this church had to make some very significant decisions. And so on October the 15th last year, 18 staff members, elders, and chairpersons of the executive and deacons spent about six hours wrestling with many questions. We asked ourselves questions like, uh, what is God trying to say to us? Did we hear him right initially when we conceived the vision and cast it? Should we be disappointed or should we be excited? Because three million isn't a small amount of money. And given that we don't have all of what we thought we had, how much of the vision should we go ahead with? These were the kind of questions that we needed to wrestle with. And and later on, on the way out, as I was talking to many of them, it transpired that people were coming in with some new emotions. They were new for us as a leadership team. People talked about having felt anxiety, butterflies in their stomach was a phrase one person used, confusion, uncertainty. Now, we've had many, many leadership retreats in this church. I've been, at part, I've been part of 54 of them in the last 27 years. And I've never experienced a situation where we came with those kinds of emotions. This was brand new territory for us. At the same time, every one of us came there convinced that God was calling us to lead the church at a critical time. And so we began by preparing our hearts. We, began, we listened to a message by Bill Hybels. And for those of you who don't know him, he's a very gifted, motivational leader of a church. And he spoke about Crisis times in the life of a church when leaders have to step up to the plate and be counted. And he said something very important that was appropriate to us that day. He said, sometimes the cause is so big there is no room for egos. The cause is so big that all private agendas have to be set aside. And so we began by setting aside all our private agendas for that day in order to listen to God speak to us. And then we prayed. And after we prayed, I just simply provided an opportunity for every person that was there, all 18 of us, And we needed to hear from every single person where they were at. Some some shared feelings. Others shared ideas. All of us shared in the struggles as we evaluated the options that were before us. That took us to lunchtime. We broke up for lunch as we normally do into individual groups. And that's an unplanned time of fellowship. I have no idea what the various groups were talking about. I know what I did. We usually meet on the 23rd floor in an apartment building where Pastor Heather lives. It's a beautiful place for a retreat setting. And by the way, we were there yesterday for another retreat. And I went off to one corner. It was a beautiful fall day. And I said, God, how are you going to bring any sense of harmony? This, there was no relational disharmony. But we had honestly held different opinions on this. And I said, God, how are you going to bring this all together? I have the foggiest notion. And so we went back after that. And over the next two hours, that's exactly what God did. He brought about a wonderful sense of unity where three things began to all converge. First of all, we were absolutely convinced that we had heard God right. 
in conceiving this vision, casting this vision and presenting it to you through sermons, through home visits and whatnot. Secondly, all disappointment had given way completely to rejoicing at what God had done at a substantial initial investment. But most important of all, most important of all, we heard God say to us, this is my doing and this is not the end of the story. It's only the beginning. And a dominant biblical metaphor, Pastor Alan Wiseman walked us through that. God used him in a very special way to bring about that coalescing. A dominant biblical metaphor came from the story in Luke chapter 5. Let me read this for you. One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret with the people crowding around him and listening to the word of God, he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep waters and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boats to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on you will catch men. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything and followed him. And as we meditate upon this particular metaphor under Pastor Alan's guidance, again, we heard God begin to reinforce three things. First of all, this was an invitation for them to go out into the deep. Now, the deep waters is a place of danger because you can sink in deep water, which you can't do in shallow water unless you try really hard. But you also can't water ski or do deep sea diving or snorkeling in shallow water. Deep water is the place of delight. Deep water is the place of danger. And so the first thing we heard God say to us, I want you to go out. This is an invitation to go out into the deep. Yeah, you might sink, <laughs> but it might also be the place where you see miracles. The second thing God was saying to us was through the phrase when they said we've caught, we worked hard all night and we caught nothing. That was sort of like the situation we felt ourselves in. We had run a good campaign. We thought we ran it well with integrity. I certainly preached my heart out. And everybody worked hard. And yet we caught less than what we needed. It was exactly the situation we were in. But perhaps the most important thing of all, the most important thing of all was it really wasn't about fish anyway. Because Jesus used the catch of the fish to say to the people, I'm going to make you fishers of men, so follow me. Which for us underlined, underlined what we were saying, that this was not just about money. It was really about leaving a legacy and unleashing a potential. It was about blessing the next generation. It was about giving tools in the hands of our sons and daughters that would reach out into a community that we can't even imagine right now what it looks like. It involves unleashing our potential here in, in Tandridge and way over in Cambodia and other parts of the world. And then Pastor Allen said what to me became the most definitive comment, and I wrote it down. He said this, cutting back is really risky since it will communicate to the congregation that it is okay to cut back in the journey of faith in all areas of life. Rather, our call as leaders is to teach people to push out into deep waters. God is calling the leadership of the church to model this kind of faith for the whole congregation. And of course, when we came back and shared that with some of you at an annual congregation meeting, 
it would have to be my great, if I had to choose a single moment at Rexdale in 26 years that I've been here that I will never forget, it was the sight of people in this congregation jumping up, encouraging one another to have faith. God was sowing seeds of that where we are coming to right now at this point. And so this became a metaphor for us to launch out into a much deeper journey of faith. But it's what God did in me that you need to have a glimpse of as well. Because you see, when I, when I was sharing that vision last year through the sermons that I was preaching, I did the best that I could and I was on board as far as the vision and as far as it being a spiritual process. But consciously or unconsciously, back in, in the back of my mind was this idea that this thing would kind of last till about October last year. And then I could go back to business as usual. You know, I don't like change. I don't like the whole thought of walking through buildings that were all broken down. And this isn't my temperament at all. And you know that. So I can, somewhere in the back of my mind, they smuggled in this idea that by October, this will all be over. We'll get the pledges. We'll be moving on. Others that know all about this will do the work. And I can just get back to my predictable lifestyle again. What God said to me that day throughout this process was, you got me right that this was a spiritual process and a journey of faith. But Sunday, you're dead wrong. It's not five months. I want you to think about five years. For a person like me with my temperament, that kind of rocks you back a little bit, you know. And then God brought another scripture to mind that day. It wasn't what was talked about publicly. You remember the story, those of you who remember the story in the Old Testament when God sent Moses? He sent Moses to Pharaoh and he said, you can let my, ask him to let my people go because you're going to become a worshipping community. And so Moses goes to Pharaoh and says, I want you to let my people go. And Pharaoh says, who's the Lord? Who's the Lord that I should listen to you? And he said, these Hebrew slaves have got too much time on their hands. They're dreaming all this stuff about freedom. So he goes and says to the taskmasters, make sure they produce the same number of bricks but don't give them any straw. Less resources than were needed to do the work. And that set up a stage of complaints. The slaves complained to the taskmasters. The taskmasters complained to Moses. Moses complained to God. You know what God said? Now you will see what I'm going to do. And what happened was 10 of the most definitive miracles in the Old Testament by which God brought Egypt out with a strong, mighty and outstretched arm. And if you read the history of Israel in the Old Testament, if you read the Psalms, you will find that they celebrated that event more than anything else. <laughs> and basically what God was saying to me was, you've got less than what you thought that you needed, but I'm just setting the stage for the kind of work that I'm going to do in your church that future generations will look back upon and say, that was the kind of God we served. <laughs> So I certainly came away from that. Personally ready and ready to call you to a journey of faith that wasn't going to be over in three or four months, but something that will take several years as we continue to broaden and deepen. And the next ten weeks are going to be a continuation of that process. But you know, it isn't just me. Oh, by the way, I should tell you one more thing. God has been faithful in that year since that as well. A couple of things happened recently that drove that home to me and I wasn't even aware of it. One, one afternoon on lunchtime, I had a little bit of uh, window between two appointments, so I, I walked through all this destruction around here. You know. And then I came out to the parking lot where most of our new building and the youth center in particular is going to be. Right at that time, there were kids from the high school across the street that were going back after the break. And the juxtaposition of all of those just filled my heart with anticipation and gladness as I began to imagine what was going to happen with many, many more of those kids and the ministry that will flow out from this church. I suddenly realized, God, a year ago when I thought about this stage, anticipation and eagerness weren't the words that would have come to my mind. God had already done a work. More than that, more than that, 
what was going on inside was becoming evident to people. I had lunch dinner one not too long ago with a friend of mine who doesn't come to this church, but he knows me and he knows this church and he knows of where we are at right now with our imagined campaign. So he'll always ask me, how are things going? So he asked me again over dinner, how are things going? I shared with him and then he said to me, he said, something's happened to you, he said. He said, last year when you talked about all this stuff, he said, there was a heaviness in your heart as you anticipated all this chaos. He said, something has happened to you. You have changed. (laughs) I said, praise God. Praise God that whatever was happening inside was beginning to get outside as well. I have never been so excited about what lies ahead and never more unsure. And it isn't just me, folks. I want you to hear a story. And the only reason is I wish she could be here, but she's in Africa. You know why she's in Africa now? Because she started on this Imagine campaign a year ago, never knowing that God would end up taking her in Africa. And so Karen Dick has given me permission to read this testimony. This is what she's doing in Africa right now, right? She's with Samaritan's Purse, by the way. This is an extract from her testimony. I've only shortened it. I haven't changed anything in the, in the words themselves. The Imagine campaign that began one year ago was one that would transform much of my spiritual walk with Christ. I have seen the basis and development of another building campaign in another church where I was once worshipped, where the focus was on the sum of money that each person or family would give. Although this church meant well, its approach was not centered around the individual dialogue with God of each member of the church. Instead of being given the tools to enter into a conversation with Jesus, the members of this church were given a target amount of money that if each person contributed would cover the entire cost of the project. When I initially heard about the potential for a building project at Rexdale, I was a bit aggravated by the fact that I as a student would be asked to contribute in the same way as an established businessman. This of course never materialized. The idea that I would be preached at each week about my need to give obscene amounts of money to the church turned my stomach. But the very first sermon of the series proved me wrong. The series did not address money directly, but focused on the spiritual development that would occur as a result of the daily communion with God that would be needed to decipher how much I am to give to the campaign. Little did I know that God was using the sermons on money to get at heart issues in my life. I became more and more aware of the unused talents he had given me that I was essentially hiding within the ground. I have learned that it isn't about the actual sum of money that I give to him. Rather, it is the status of my heart and the desire of my heart to commune with him daily over the use of my body and its skills. God does not need my money, but it is the conversation about money brought on by the ongoing need to give for which he longs. When it came to deciding on how much to give, we were never told what the magic number would be. As I began the process of asking God to show me the set amount, I noticed that I was communing with God more than ever before. I realized that he was not going to simply pull a number out of the sky, but rather that I would come to him day by day praying for wisdom. And listen to the beginning to the heart of her testimony. The daily grind of asking for a number turned into a desire to know his heart and his plans for me. As the days turned into weeks, my prayers that began as simple questions were slowly enlarged into a cry for a revelation of God's deep, deep love for me. Only after I began to pay attention to the still small voice did I begin to wonder how I could then in some way give back what he has so willingly given me. As I contemplated his desires to see me use all that he has given me to bring a smile to his face, I realized that I needed to take another big step in my journey. I gave up the scholarship money that he provided for me. I brought my PhD to a grinding halt. I traveled to Calgary and eventually to Kenya to work with Samaritan's Purse installing household water filters. He has asked me to put my long-buried talents to good use and he has called me to continue giving to his kingdom despite my perceived need for my money. 
Although he still sometimes struggles to loosen my grip on my material stuff, I am willing to envision what that freedom would look like. What a journey. Do you have any doubts that this is about a spiritual process? So let me just close by just uh, giving you a couple of invitations. Focus on these words from her testimony. The daily grind of asking for a number turned into a desire to know his heart and his plans for me. As the days turned to weeks, my prayers that began as simple questions were slowly enlarged into a cry for a revelation of God's deep, deep love for me. Only after I began to pay attention to the still small voice, I began to wonder how I could then in some way give back what he has so willingly given me. Although he still sometimes struggles to loosen my grip on my material stuff, I am willing to envision what that freedom would look like. What a journey. So here's my invitation to such a journey for many of you. And you are at various stages in that journey. Some of you are already on board the imagined vision. Keep it up. Thank you for your faithfulness. Keep up the conversation with God. That's the end. Don't miss the spiritual journey. And if you're not on board, I'll tell you what my greatest desire is. Just enter into conversation with God. That's the agenda. That's the real issue. Whatever you do, don't miss the spiritual process. In the next 10 weeks, don't miss the invitation to grow in faith in all aspects of life. Let the demanding process of determining the nature and extent of your investment in Imagine turn into a desire to know God's heart and plans for you. And whatever you decide, please give us the gift of your prayers. You can always give us that. It costs you nothing except time and goodwill. And they are invaluable because no money can buy that for us. And, and if you happen to be new, if all those people who started coming to this church and have decided to make it their home church after last October, uh, what we've done is we've taken the ten sermons that we used to cast the vision and both printed versions as well as CD versions are available. I will be at the kiosk afterwards. If you want, you can please come and pick that up. What I want to do though, is to close with another story. Uh, some of you are aware that we are in the middle of the 30 days of prayer for, for the Muslim world during Ramadan. And one morning, one day this past week, I was, I was reading the material for that day. I came across the story. And when I read it, I said, God, only you can give gifts like this. Because I knew what I was preaching today. Recently, a Muslim man was running a fishing enterprise harvesting a bottom-dwelling sea animal called the sea cucumber, which are delicacies in certain parts of Asia. The man became seriously ill and finally sought help from the church his wife regularly attended. There he was given a Bible and he became interested in reading it. Later he was on his boat as his workers were diving for sea cucumbers but not catching anything. Is that beginning to sound familiar? Alone on the deck, the man got out of his Bible and started to read. He fell asleep while he was reading and began to dream. In the dream, he was on the sea and as he watched, a shining figure came out of the water. He knew it was Jesus. Jesus pointed, showing him a particular direction and then the man woke up. When his workers were came back on board the ship, the Muslim man asked them, Are you willing to go wherever I direct you? They replied that they were sure since, sure since they hadn't caught anything anyway. So he led them to the spot indicated by the figure in his dream, a place where no one had ever caught anything. It took them three weeks to bring up all the sea cucumbers in that place. The man gave his life to Christ and is now bringing others to him as well. Any doubts that the story from Luke chapter 5 is for today? Any doubts that it's not about fish and cucumbers, but about men and women. You know, Hebrews 11 says, without faith it is impossible to please God. But then, when it's all over, Hebrews 12 says, forget all those people. You know, they were great testimonies. Not to the greatness of their faith, 
they were great testimonies to the power of Jesus to inspire faith. Because he finishes by saying, looking unto Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith. And so that's my blessing for you, that over these next ten weeks, may Jesus, who is the author and perfecter of faith, begin to plant those seeds of faith where none exist in those areas of your life that you need to have faith. And where he has already planted it, may he water it, may he cause it to bud and blossom and bring forth much fruit so that you will be profitable disciples glorifying Christ by bearing much fruit. Go in Jesus' name.